Good afternoon and welcome to the first ever podcast from the station. I'm Thomas Smith, and I'm going to be covering everything from SFL Action, Big Head Baseball, Simulation Soccer Federation, as well as some real-world sports and things going on out there. First thing I want to get started with are some of these prospects coming up in the SFL now. Some of the people I've given first-round grades to include fullback Hubba Kimbrell, running back Charlie Boletsky, strong safety Monte Wyatt, wide receiver Chris Lee, defensive tackle Max Knight, the only kicker in the class Jack Lewis, defensive tackle Dan Tritz, tight end Will Todd, and defensive tackle Exodus O'Brannon. Some of these people I gave first-round grades to because they were either people that I saw uh, showing a lot of activity in the chats or because they bring some other things to their team that that you might not see from other prospects. Uh, Talking on Hubba Kimbrell, he's one of the guys that I see in the chats all the time. He's out there just not afraid to talk, not afraid to get involved, and he's always out there supporting his team, which is something that I love to see. Running back Charlie Boletsky, he's another guy that is one of the most active ones in the chats. Everybody knows who he is because he's always out there talking, always out there getting involved. Strong safety Monte Wyatt, just like Charlie Boletsky, is very active in the chats, making sure he's getting his name out there and always striving for success. Someone that has really risen on my board that I think is going to be phenomenal for whatever team was lucky enough to land him is wide receiver Chris Lee. I can tell you from uh, some of my information I've received that he is being mentored by one of the general managers in the league, as well as another one of the big-name players in the league. So Chris Lee is really on the right path. He's getting involved in the chats, and he's showing people what he's about, which I love to see. Uh, defensive tackle Max Knight is one of my personal favorite prospects in this class. He's always reaching out to me for advice, asking me uh, how he can help build his draft stock, what he can do to market himself to teams, and that's something I love to see. He's not a guy that's going to go out there and say, hey, put me up your board. He He's there in, in my DMs asking me what he can do to improve his stock, and that's what I love to see. In a league where defensive line is becoming a lot more important, I think Max Knight could be one of the top defensive linemen to come off this board really early in the draft this winter. Kicker Jack Lewis, I can't say enough about this guy. He's out there working on the social media page for the San Jose Flight, making sure he's putting that together. He's staying involved in the team. Um, And not to mention, he's fronting that cost for that uh, logo being made for the San Jose Flight on their uh, social media page by himself, which is something that I think uh, shows a lot of selflessness and shows to his future team. He's a guy that's not afraid to do whatever it takes for the team. Granted, that there's not going to be scenarios where he's got to put put himself out there monetarily for his team, but it just kind of shows that character that he's not afraid to do whatever it takes to help out his team. Um, moving on to defensive tackle Dan Tritz, he's another defensive lineman I rank highly in this class. Uh, he's a guy that's talking in the chats. He's always supporting his team on game day, and that, that's really huge to me. I think if you're showing publicly that you're not afraid to support your team through wins, through losses, and that you're going to be there no matter what, that's something that teams will love to see. Tight end Will Todd. Uh, I I can't talk enough about these the San Jose Flight class coming out this year. Uh, I'm a little biased because I, I am one of the mentors on that staff, helping them out there. So I'm a little biased towards San Jose Flight. I'll be completely honest with you. I, I just like what I'm seeing from these prospects. And tight end Will Todd is a guy that is really showing out, showing that he can be active. He's in that scouting room from San Jose and he's just doing everything he can to build up his stock. And in a league where tight ends are really becoming resurgent and there's big-name teams like Arizona really looking for a tight end, I think Will Todd is a guy that could go out there and get a job early in that first round uh, by helping out a team in any way he can, playing tight end, scouting, and just doing anything.
And then last but not least in my first round grades of people I wanted to highlight is defensive tackle Exodus O'Brannon. From the time I entered the league in week one, uh, started playing those games, he was a guy that I saw early in those prospect rankings, always talking in the chats, always getting involved. Um, again, in a league where defensive lines are becoming a lot more important because of the passing games getting stronger, the running games getting stronger, Exodus O'Brannon is a, a big defensive tackle that could really make a difference on someone's defensive line. Um, moving on past that, we're going to come back to prospect rankings a little bit later in the show, but I do want to move on to some SFLM Week 1 action. Go over the scores a little bit, maybe go over some of the games. Um, going down the line, that first game, the Ottawa Cavalry, the runners-up from last year coming into Annapolis to play the Navigators, they had a little rough go of it in Week 1, uh, losing 27-14 to against the Navigators there. Um, some of the key stats from the game, you saw... Uh, not too much offense coming from the Cavalry, only had 128 passing yards to 76 rushing yards, whereas Annapolis was out there with 252 passing and a little bit less rushing with 62 rushing yards. Um, then you look down maybe the conversion percentages, uh, Ottawa was 1 of 8 on third down, where Annapolis was 8 of 19. Neither team really did phenomenal on third down, but you were seeing a lot from these teams where they were just fighting, doing everything they could. Um, I think the key to this game was time of possession. Annapolis had possession for 30 minutes, whereas Ottawa only had possession for 13 minutes. When there's that big of a discrepancy in possession time, you're going to notice that, that usually the team with the most time is really going to pull out that win and win that game. Scar Patterson had a rough go of it, uh, 9 of 21 passing for 128. Again, he, he's a young rookie. He's going to start working on it. He's going to get things going. And what will definitely help is that he's got that stud running back, Kevin Say, back there who had 11 carries for 76 yards. In a game where they were trailing most of the game, obviously, they, they would have liked to lean on that running game more, especially with Say averaging 7 yards a carry, uh, including that 70-yard run he put out. But when you're playing from behind, you got to pass the ball. you got to get points as fast as you can. And unfortunately, we didn't see a lot from Kevin Say that we would have liked to see. What he did get was 80 total yards on 16 touches, which to me is phenomenal. Um, he's another guy that I'm going to keep a watch on all year. Uh, Deuce Fennick, one of my favorite wide receivers in this class, uh, also had a big game, two catches for 91 and a touchdown, including an 86-yarder, which was the touchdown that he caught. So Ottawa, again, being the runners-up last year, I have faith in that coaching staff. I have faith that they're going to bounce back from this, but overall it was just kind of a, a rough first game for that that offense because they couldn't really get the passing game going. Looking from the Annapolis side, uh, you see Spencer Gordon, who was playing for the Boise Mud Dogs last year, stepped in and had a phenomenal game with 34-47 for 252 and two touchdowns. He, he really couldn't miss on this game. He got sacked a few times, which was probably the one knock on him, but having two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a great completion percentage, he, he just really showed this team that he's going to help Annapolis try and continue their winning ways from last year. Uh, running back Bailey O'Shaughnessy, again, one of the, the people I, I'd like to highlight later on in the show, uh, went out there, had 31 touches, which really shows that this team wants to have their running game involved, having 25 carries for 67. The average isn't what you'd like to see, but again, it, it's, a, it's a young prospect. It's early in the season, and they're going to develop. So seeing O'Shaughnessy get 67 rushing, 13 receiving, and getting a touchdown, just showing that they're, they're going to put their name out there. Another thing I'd like to highlight was after Bailey O'Shaughnessy did get their first touchdown, uh, I saw a graphic go up uh, that they made themselves uh, just saying uh, first ever touchdown for Bailey O'Shaughnessy, which is something I like to see. And I know teams value highly uh, prospects that can make graphics and things like that. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on that will keep uh, O'Shaughnessy heading up boards uh, with that talent. 
So again, um, it, it was a, a game that really wasn't too close at all. Annapolis pulled away with it early, but I think we could see Ottawa bounce back pretty, pretty quick. Um, the second game of the week one slate was the Birmingham Fuel at the San Jose Flight. This one hurt me a little bit, uh, seeing the San Jose Flight, who I'm helping out. Uh, just struggling a little bit in this game. I don't think it was anybody's fault, really. Um, I, I think it just came down to uh, Birmingham's coaching, really pulling it out and showing what they're about. Um, obviously, week one, teams don't really know what the other team's going to be coming to the field with, so that could be a factor in it. But another big factor in this game was Riley Quintero, the wide receiver from the Fuel. Ten catches for 201 yards and two touchdowns, which is phenomenal. One of my highest-rated wide receivers. I think Quintero is going to be somebody that's a, a mainstay in this uh, SFLM this season, going to keep showing out and, and maybe break some records down the line, especially with stat lines like that. Uh, quarterback Christian Brown from the Fuel is somebody that uh, is definitely putting themselves out there, talking in the chats, and uh, had a pretty good game for the Fuel. The three interceptions are, are definitely a knock. You don't you want to see a little bit more ball security from a young quarterback, but throwing for 312 yards and two touchdowns definitely shows that they can uh, they can put an offense together and help carry that offense. The running game didn't really get going for Birmingham, uh, only averaging two yards per carry on on 36 rushing yards. So the, you would like to see Birmingham maybe work on that running game a little bit, but in this matchup it wasn't something that was really needed. With Birmingham pulling out that win 24-7, to it was just kind of a, a game that Birmingham really dominated. Uh, giving a little bit of highlight to the defense, uh, free safety Eric Gugger, only the second player ever to have two interceptions in a minor league game. Uh, big, uh, big accomplishment for Eric Gugger there. Another person I want to highlight on that, that Birmingham defense is strong safety Tom Krieg, who ended up having four tackles, one tackle for loss, and a pass deflection. Tom Krieg is my highest riser right now on my board. Tom Krieg is another person that's been asking me for a lot of advice, uh, asking me about things that they can maybe work on, and uh, I'm really liking what I see from Tom Krieg here. And uh, there's somebody I think I could see going in, in the first round at the end of the day uh, once people start learning this name and learning who this is. Another uh, person to highlight on that Birmingham defense is linebacker Josh Farnsey. Uh, just really giving shout-outs to Birmingham overall. There's a lot of people on this team that I think could go in the first round. Uh, last year, I believe we saw um, the San Jose Flight and the Annapolis Navigators were the most people picked in the first round, and I think this is going to be a year where we see Birmingham maybe dominate that. Um, linebacker Josh Farnsey had eight tackles and three pass deflections, which is something you love to see from a linebacker. Teams want linebackers that are going to get their hands up, block passes, as well as being sure-handed tacklers that are going to take down the ball carriers whenever they get near them. Um, and then the San Jose Flight, again, they had a rough go of it in this game. Uh, Colin Pierce, who's my number one prospect, just uh, maybe had, had a little bit of a, a rough game, uh, only throwing for 129, having two interceptions, uh, just really couldn't get the offense going. Uh, it may have been more of a scheme thing or may have been just uh, being a young quarterback in his first game, who knows. But I think Colin Pierce will bounce back from this. Uh, he'll keep his progressions going, and he's going to grow into a phenomenal quarterback. Um, again, Colin Pierce being the number one prospect, he's a guy that's out there. Uh, he's got his name in that uh, expansion bid with the West Virginia Wild. He's a guy that's in that San Jose scouting room helping them out, and he's a guy that is talking in the chats every day, making sure that everybody sees that he's out there, being positive, supporting his team, and doing everything he can to make a name for himself in this league. Um, touching a little bit on that San Jose defense, they did have that strong safety that I talked about a little earlier. Monte Wyatt had a pretty big game, three tackles, two pass deflections, including an interception. 
And then you see a couple of the big-name linebackers in this year's class, Gary Clem and Devin King, who are two of the highest-rated linebackers, which is something teams are going to love to see draft day. Uh, Gary Clem with seven tackles and a pass deflection. And then Devin King with a huge eight tackles, three tackles for loss and a pass deflection. So again, this was a game where maybe it was a little sloppier than people would have liked to see, but there were a lot of phenomenal names out there and a lot of people just showing what they can do with the builds that they've put together. And moving on to that third game, the Madison Lynx at the Albuquerque Adams. The Madison Lynx being the defending champions, everybody thought they are going to come out in this game, they're going to dominate, and they're going to show Albuquerque that they're, they're out to mean business. And Madison really, on the road, uh, could not pull out the win in Albuquerque, losing by 17 points. It, it was a pretty good game to watch, but I, I think Albuquerque really had it handled uh, from the get-go. Uh, going down the line, Madison uh, put put together a pretty good offense. They had over 400, or sorry, excuse me, um, had 270 yards of offense. Um, and then you see Albuquerque put together 340 yards of offense. Uh, Albuquerque really had the passing game going, whereas Madison had their running game working more for them. Uh, Madison, with new quarterback Eric Price, um, struggled a little bit, didn't have too bad of a game, throwing for 189, a touchdown, and an interception. Uh, I wouldn't say he's the reason they lost this game. I, I couldn't really pinpoint any specific reason maybe why Madison may have lost this game, but I don't think he did enough to make this uh, a W for them. The, obviously, that interception probably cost them down the line. Then you've got running back Charlie Beletsky there, who had 23 carries for 81 yards. Not a bad game from the rookie. You'd like to see a better average uh, eventually, but it's he had a pretty solid game for his first career minor league game. Uh, looking at that defense, you've got names like Julian Valliere, one of the highest-rated safeties in this class. Defensive tackle Dan Tritz, who was out there with two tackles, both of which were for a loss. And then again, Julian Valaire had seven tackles and an interception. So Madison showed some promise, but again, they've got some things to work on if they want to try and repeat as champions in this minor league. Going down to the Albuquerque Adams, uh, one of the returning quarterbacks from last year's minor league season, P.J. Slaughter, really showed up, showed out, and had a great game, having 313 passing yards and three touchdowns. Again, Albuquerque couldn't really get the running game going with rookie new uh, running back Douglas Brown. He had uh, 23 carries for 28 yards, just barely over a one-yard average. So it's good to see that Albuquerque isn't afraid to uh, keep trying on the running game because he had 23 carries, but you would like to see maybe uh, that offensive line working a little harder for him, maybe opening up some holes. Um, maybe it's a, a situation where Albuquerque's got that line focused on pass blocking, which if so, it won them a game against the defending champs, and that's pretty big. Um, but down the line, you're going to want to see both both parts of the offense being integrated for them to try and make a deep run. Uh, looking down at Albuquerque's defense, there wasn't too many big highlight plays. Uh, linebacker Ryan Ray had an interception, and then you had, uh, again, Ryan Ray with nine total tackles. But uh, going down the line of user players on this defense, there wasn't anybody that really showed out too much. Uh, one of my favorite prospects, Cliff Grizzly, did have his first career sack uh, in the minor league. That was his only tackle of the game, which, again, sacks are always big plays, so that's great for him, and I'd love to see more from Cliff Grizzly. Um, and then last but not least, we are going to look at that last game for the week one slate of the minor league, the Tacoma Grizzlies and the Memphis River Runners, two brand-new teams in these minor leagues. Tacoma goes into Memphis, and uh, they fought hard, but they ended up losing by 17 again. Uh, in a week where we saw all four teams winning by more than one possession, uh, I don't think it was too much of a shock, but... Everybody loved what they saw from these two teams. It was a hard-fought game, and it was a really good game to watch. 
Um, going down the line, you saw a lot of offense from these teams. They had over 700 yards of offense, uh, most of which was through the air, but both of these teams actually did get their running game going. Uh, both weren't very good on third downs. Uh, both did have 15 first down conversions. And uh, I think what may have hurt the Tacoma Grizzlies was the two turnovers on downs that they had. They were one of three on fourth down. This was just a, a pretty equal game when you look at the overall stats because the time of possession, both teams had 22 minutes time of possession. Um, the third down conversion percentages were pretty close. The first downs were pretty close. Even the yardage was really close uh, with the River Runners having uh, about 50 more yards of offense, which, which may have been one of the big differences. Uh, returning quarterback JQ for Tacoma. Had a pretty solid game. Uh, one of, uh, I believe, only two quarterbacks this week to not throw an interception. Had 235 passing yards and a touchdown. Um, r- running back Brad Jones had 21 carries for 97, which you love to see. Uh, close to a five-yard average for that running back, including a 52-yard run he had, and he put, put in a touchdown as well. Uh, again, who I think may be rising as one of the top wide receivers in this class, Chris Lee, had a huge game, seven catches for 106. Uh, I look forward to seeing that connection of JQ and Chris Lee to keep working. Uh, another person I'd like to highlight in this offense is somebody that actually didn't catch a pass, but tight end Ziggy Hronick. Again, we're in a league where tight end is becoming a position of need, and Ziggy Hronick is a guy that I see active in the chats, and he's putting together a pretty solid build, so he's a guy that teams will want to take a look at. Looking at that Tacoma defense, uh, they did have linebacker Ricky Jordan, uh, who I've got a little bit lower on my board just because I haven't seen too much from him. Um, he had a pretty big game, nine tackles, two for loss. Uh, strong safety Blake Prine uh, went out there, had eight tackles and a pa- uh, pass deflection. And overall, uh, it was just a pretty pretty decent game from the Tacoma defense. Obviously, they couldn't keep the points down, but their defense did their best to, uh, to show out and, and keep fighting. Um, from the Memphis side... Uh, we've got another quarterback that didn't throw an interception, O.J. Bruin, one of the top uh, one of the top prospects in this class. Some people know him as Willie Beeman. Uh, some people know him as O.J. Bruin. He's a guy that's involved a lot in simulation sports, and he's a guy that I think we could see go early in this draft, whether it be first round or second round. Uh, through the rumor mill, I keep hearing that there's going to be a lot more teams needing quarterbacks this year than there were last year, which I, th- I think is going to be great. Um, we'll see how it plays out in free agency after uh, – some of the veteran quarterbacks sign what, how many openings are going to be, but I think we could see more than the three quarterback openings that we saw last year. Maybe teams are going to want uh, younger quarterbacks. Maybe teams are going to want uh, a rookie quarterback that's going to be more open to uh, working in a system or things like that. But O.J. Bruin is one of those quarterbacks that has a good build, throwing for 282 yards and a touchdown, uh, including a 73-yarder. And I think O.J. Bruin is going to be somebody that, that is a mainstay in this league for, for seasons to come. Uh, looking at that running game for the Memphis River Runners, Blair Jones had it working as well. 30 carries for 92 yards and two touchdowns. You'd like to see a little bit better of an average, but again, you keep grinding that ball. You get three yards here, three yards there. Tire out the defense and get those touchdowns on the goal line. Running backs like that are going to be a staple in this league. A lot of people saw it from my Lone Star Glory with like McBride and Cameron Collier. Just two uh, big running backs that just kept pounding the rock and tiring out defenses, and it, and it works. So running backs like Blair Jones are, are definitely going to be a commodity as well. Uh, looking down at the Memphis River Runners defense, you've got safety and uh, broadcaster for this minor league, Mike Ryan. Had four tackles and a pass deflection. Pretty solid game for the rookie. Um, one of my other top prospects in this class, which um, 
these two safeties for the Memphis River Runners are actually two of my top 10 prospects. They're the highest rated strong safety and the highest rated free safety. So uh, kudos to this Memphis team for putting together a great pair of safeties. Uh, Bernard Smith went out there and had six tackles and two pass deflections. I think this uh, the safety pairing of Ryan and Smith is definitely going to make a lot of noise this season in the minor leagues. Uh, they got rookie corner who actually just joined the league recently. Alden Bleeker went out there and had seven tackles, so had a pretty solid game. And then you've got uh, linebacker Maverick Hughes who had six tackles and a deflection. And a humongous game from my favorite defensive tackle so far, Max Knight. Went out there and had seven tackles and a sack. It's not too often you see a defensive tackle or a nose tackle go out there and get seven tackles, but Max Knight was just fighting and grinding with that offensive line all game. That's pretty much all I've got from the minor league action. Uh, Again, those scores are... Annapolis over Ottawa, 27-14. Birmingham over San Jose, 24-7. Albuquerque over Madison, 27-10. And the Memphis River Runners over Tacoma, 34-17. We had a lot of good games from the minor leagues, and we've got a lot of great games coming up as well. In week two of the minor league action, we're going to see the San Jose flight traveling to Annapolis to play the Navigators. We are going to see the Birmingham Fuel hosting the Salt Lake City Rustlers, who are actually going to be playing their first game because they were on bye last week. We see the Albuquerque Adams traveling across the border to Ottawa to play the Cavalry and uh, try and show out against Ottawa. And then last but not least, we see the defending champions, the Madison Lynx, hosting the very stout Memphis River Runners, who won decisively in Week 1 and look to take it to the defending champions. That wraps it up for my minor league action. Moving on, we are going to talk a little bit about the upcoming quarterfinal round. First game on the docket is going to be Saturday at 2 p.m. It's going to be Mexico City traveling to Baltimore to try and beat one of the most efficient passing games in the league. This game is going to be broadcasted by Colin Northrup and Rick Northrup. Uh, Just a great broadcasting team. I think this is going to be a phenomenal game. Mexico City shook a lot of people and shocked a lot of people with how well they played this year. Um, Traveling into Baltimore, I think they're going to have a very tall task. Uh, Mexico City hasn't had an easy schedule by by any means, but I think traveling into Baltimore is going to be a big game for them. Baltimore has, uh, I believe, the fewest turnovers in the league. They're a very efficient team. They can get it going on the running game and the passing game, and they have a very stout defense. Uh, One of the best teams in turnover differential, I think Baltimore is going to maybe play a little bit stronger than what Mexico City can beat, but I think it's going to be a close game that's going to come down to the wire. I don't think we're going to see too much scoring in this because I think uh, both teams are going to be looking for turnovers, and Baltimore being one of the most efficient teams, I don't think they're going to turn it over too much to Mexico City, which may be the difference. Uh, For me, I see Baltimore winning this game by seven. Moving on to the next game is going to be the Florida Storm traveling to to Denver to play the Nightwings. That game is going to be at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday and is going to be broadcasted by Eric Vincent and Cade Stevens. I talked about it a little bit on Axis Live last night, and I I tell you what, I... I want to hope for Florida. I want to say that, you know, Florida's won three championships and, and sure they can pull this game out, but I just don't see it. Denver has been so unstoppable this year. They've got the best offense. They've got the best defense. They've got the best special teams. You look down the line and it's like, how is Florida going to beat this team? Denver is 
top two or number one in every single major statistical category. Turnover differential, points scored, points against, kicking game, everything. Florida's got a tall task for them, and when they look at the tape, they're not going to see too many weaknesses from this Denver team. Florida can definitely get it going, obviously. They've got those four wide receivers that they play. They've got a good tight end. They've got a good running back, a phenomenal quarterback with, with those three rings. And uh, it's definitely something that you can't count Florida out of. I made that mistake on Access Live last night where uh, I said that Florida doesn't have a chance. Obviously, they do have a chance. Um, I just don't know what we're going to see show up from Florida. A lot of people expect this to be a dominant performance from Denver, but who knows what's going to happen. It, 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 it could be a, a tale of two different things. But as Jack's data brought up um, in the simulations, Denver's winning 75% of the time, which is uh, decisively different from the rest of the games. I believe the second highest uh, margin was uh, Sioux Falls winning 67% of the time, which 67% to 75% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking about, uh, I believe you said 1,000 sims, um, that, that is a big difference there. So again, Florida hopefuls, uh, your team can definitely pull it out. It's definitely something that can happen. But they, they've definitely got a tall task for them playing Jeremy Vega and those Denver Nightwings. Talking a little bit about Game 3, uh, that's going to be the Jacksonville Kings traveling to Sioux Falls to play the Sparrows. That game is going to be the first of two on Sunday. Uh, that's going to be aired at 2.30 Eastern Time on Sunday. And it's going to be broadcasted by Michael Trulio and my personal favorite broadcaster, Mr. Benji Matson, who uh, many have said has the sexiest voice of all the tight ends in the league now. And uh, that that's definitely saying something, especially since the director of broadcasting, Mr. Mike Daggs, placed tight end himself. Um, I think this is going to be a phenomenal game. For me, uh, this is going to be the game of the week. I know a lot of people have uh, Vancouver and Louisiana slated as the game of the week, but for me, I think this is going to be a great game. Seeing Jacksonville's high-flying offense coming in against Sioux Falls, very stout defense. I think this is going to be a great game. Just seeing the the grind, the grit, seeing Jared Willis trying to pound it against that Sioux Falls defense, seeing CC try and uh, pass the ball into the tight holes that the, uh, the Sioux Falls defense is going to give them. I, I think it's going to be a great game. I can see Jacksonville fighting in this game, and I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means. Um, I, I agree with the Jack State of spread. I think we could see Sioux Falls winning this game maybe by three, um, but it's it's going to be a phenomenal game to watch, and I, I can't wait to see this one on Sunday. And moving into the last game of the quarterfinal weekend, we've got Vancouver traveling to Louisiana to play the Revolution. The Revolution are obviously one of the hottest teams this year. Um, they were 9-1 and one at one point. Or, sorry, I believe they were 8-1. and one. Um, They ended up losing uh, two of their last games which makes their record look a little bit more skewed than what it is because Louisiana was a dominant team this year that running game is unlike anything we've ever seen Reggie Strader just pounding the ball week after week after week having more than 500 rushing yards over second place in rushing Reggie Strader just could not be stopped he's really showing that this offense has a lot going for it and I remember back uh probably two months ago when I when I challenged this offense saying like hey you guys are showing up a little one-dimensional uh, you got to make it happen on the passing game, and they completely showed me that uh, a little bit of uh, maybe I didn't know what I was talking about towards this Louisiana team because Johnny Pickler went out there, threw for six touchdowns, over 300 yards, and showed that this offense is definitely not one-dimensional, and they can make it happen with the passing game and with those phenomenal receivers uh, whenever they want to. 
I think Vancouver definitely has a tall task for them in this game, but you can't count Vancouver out in this one. Vancouver, again, everybody remembers a couple weeks ago when they went into Houston, or I'm sorry, when they played Houston and put up a league, tying a league record 76 points against that team. The offense couldn't be stopped. Tom Pepper couldn't be stopped. Robert Redford couldn't be stopped. And I think Vancouver is just going to be coming into this game with a lot of offense. And I think we could see this as the highest scoring game of the weekend. Uh, for me, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw 80 points go up in this game. It's not something I'm going to say like, oh, there's going to be 80 points. But it wouldn't surprise me if there were 80 points in this game because both offenses have a lot of great players and both offenses have put up a lot of points this season. I think Vancouver may have a little bit more motivation than Louisiana. Again, uh, rest in peace to Rich Pratchard, the late passing of a, a gentleman and a broadcaster that we lost way too soon. Shout out to Vancouver for honoring him this season, playing a phenomenal season. Uh, just just from the, uh, the, I love seeing the underdog story, and I love seeing Vancouver winning for, for that great man. Uh, I would love to see Vancouver win this game, but it's going to be a phenomenal game. And I, I, I'm inclined to agree with the spread. I, I could definitely see Louisiana winning this by three or by seven. But I, I, I want to say that the motivation is going to fuel Vancouver. And I hope and I think that Vancouver will win this game. That's going to wrap up my uh, coverage on the quarterfinal round action. So we're going to move a little bit into a couple other simulation leagues. Uh, just wanted to touch a little bit on the Big Head Baseball League for those that are participating in it. Um, the week one predictions are now live on the Big Head Baseball uh, website. So if you want to get in, uh, try and get some progression points there, make sure you're getting on the website, getting your predictions in, make sure you're getting your check-ins in. Um, Big Head Baseball spring training is going on right now. We're going to be seeing uh, week one of that Big Head Baseball season starting up here soon. So definitely make sure you're getting your check-ins done, getting your predictions done, and getting uh, involved in every way that you can. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to teams. And uh, if anybody ever wants to get involved in Big Head Baseball, uh, that website you're going to go to is going to be BigHeadBaseball.com. Um, it's a great league. Uh, it's a lot of fun. More of an arcade-style baseball game, but it, it's a lot of fun to watch, and it's a lot of fun to play in. Um, they've made the league really easy to use, uh, really easy to navigate. And uh, maybe you're a guy that's into baseball, but uh, you didn't think there's there's too much you can get involved in in simulation sports. Well, no, that's where you, you got Big Head Baseball. So if anybody has any questions about that, again, feel free to ask me. I'll help you out in any way I can, or you can just travel to BigHeadBaseball.com, check that out, and get involved. Um, going past Big Head Baseball, we're going to go into some Simulation Soccer Federation. Again, Simulation Soccer Federation, to those that know about it, uh, it's a league that's uh, in construction. Uh, the uh, commissioner and uh, deputy commissioner are working on getting things together. Um uh, working things out. They have released the uh, the schedule. I do want to touch a little bit on that schedule. Uh, in week one, you're going to be seeing the Hearts of Maple traveling to Knox City. Again, Hearts of Maple, uh, the team owned by Eagle Mondavi, is going to be uh, playing against Knox City, the team owned by Dave Axis. I think that'll be a great game between two uh, two hard-fought teams, two, uh, two teams led by uh, number 88s, as they call themselves. Um, the Fort Ontario Defenders, led by Geralt Winkler, uh, safety for the St. Louis Gladiators, as some know him, um, is going to be traveling to play my team, uh, FC Detroit. I think this is going to be a great game. Uh, I'm confident in my captain, Bryant Dynasty, really helping us out. Um, I think our, our strong defense is going to help lead us to victories, and I could see uh, us playing really well against the defenders. 
and then the the last game of the week one slate is going to be the Bossier City or sorry, Bossier City Steamers Football Club is going to be going against uh, Miami Azul. Bossier City is the the league or the uh, club commanded by Frank Garrison Blue uh, Wade himself, and AC Miami Azul is the team led by Greg the Cuban Missile Soto. So the w- first week of action in the SSF is definitely going to be exciting. Um, I think everybody's kind of getting a little eager in anticipation. Uh, the Simulation Soccer Federation runs off of uh, Pro Evolution Soccer 2020, so it's a more advanced game than uh, what some simulation players are used to seeing, uh, seeing uh, Simulation Football League played on All Pro Football 2K8, um, and then Big Head Baseball, obviously more of an arcade game. Um, simulation Soccer is going to be bringing you a, uh, a high-value production that, that just has these players uh, playing their hearts out. And it's just going to be a good production and a good league, and I look forward to seeing more people getting involved in this as the league uh, progresses and continues. Uh, it's a pretty small league right now. I think we're looking at around 60 or 70 members, so there's enough that the teams are pretty full, um, but I look forward to seeing expansion and seeing this this league grow. Um, moving past simulation sports, we are now going to move on a little bit to uh, the sporting in the real world. Um, some of the big headlines in the world today, the New England Patriots have another positive uh, coronavirus test. They have closed down their facilities, so that may put uh, their, their upcoming game against Denver in doubt. Um, a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen with this. Um, we've already rescheduled this game. Uh, the Patriots and the Broncos were given a bye week while this game was rescheduled to now, and uh, they moved a lot of the schedule around. So say uh, if this keeps continuing through for the Patriots, well, what's going to happen? Because obviously you can't give a second bye week to this team. Uh, how is the league going to make this work? Uh, for now, all we know is that the Patriots have closed down their practice facility for today. Um, they're going to keep uh, testing their team and seeing what happens, and uh, we've yet to hear uh, the league's thoughts on this. So we'd like to see this game be played and the, and the, the league year continue on as normal. But this puts a lot of things in doubt as uh, as both of these teams have used their bye week, so it could uh, it could change the schedule around a lot if these teams aren't able to play this Sunday. Um, going past that, uh, the Indianapolis Colts uh, had some tests pop up positive uh, in the last couple of days. I believe they had four players uh, test positive. Uh, luckily, it came out today that those were po- uh, false positives. Uh, the Colts are reopening their facility, and it's looking like the Colts are going to be able to play the, their game this week, which is great. Um, Odell Beckham Jr., uh, one of the most notable receivers in the game. Uh, he's still not practicing for the Browns. Uh, he has told reporters that he's doing better, um, which is great. Um, I know the Browns would love to see him uh, active in that high-flying offense. Browns are shocking a lot of people this year going 4-1, uh, and I think Odell Beckham is a big part of that. Uh, Browns are finally getting their, their passing game going, matching with that phenomenal running game they have there in Cleveland. Um Going back to last night a little bit, uh, Carlos Correa had that huge walk-off home run. You saw the Rays go up in that series 3-0, and everybody thought, all right, this is where the Astros lose it. The Astros are going to get knocked out, and they're going to get knocked out by a team that that nobody expected, by the Tampa Bay Rays. Everybody looked at this postseason, they're like, all right, it's New York's year, and, and New York's not even in the playoffs now. In the ALCS, we've got the Tampa Bay Rays, a team nobody expected, and we've got the Houston Astros, which people probably expected, but nobody wanted to see here because of the scandal from the uh, the offseason. So, uh, again, going back to the game, you saw this as, as a game where uh, Houston dominated for most of the night. Uh, they were up 3-0, they were up 3-1, and then you saw Tampa Bay just slowly climbing back into it. Um, 
all the way back to uh, Randy Rosarena's uh, home run. That kind of kicked it off to where Tampa Bay started climbing back into this game. Uh, we come into the ninth inning. Uh, it's bottom of the ninth. The, the Rays have tied it up. It's 3-3. Three to three. Um, You see uh, Houston not really getting the bats going in this ninth inning, even uh, to the point where you see Jose Altuve get a pop-up out, and then uh, Carlos Correa just comes up to the plate. He tells his manager, uh, Dusty Baker, he's like, this, this is where it happens. I'm going to end it. And uh, he, he, he lived true to those words. And deep to center field, he just pounds a home run out of the field. Astros walk off, and they've got this series now uh, two games to three where the Astros look like they could maybe take this series back. Uh, going into a game six where the, the Rays have lost all momentum, the Astros got all kinds of momentum. It's not a series where uh, anybody really wants to see the Astros win, but it's something that could realistically happen. Um, that's all I've got for today's headlines. I do want to touch a little bit on the NFL schedule and the baseball schedule. Um, for football, we've got Houston traveling to t- Tennessee to play the Titans. We've got the Bengals playing the Colts in Indy. We've got the Falcons playing the Vikings. Denver, hopefully, traveling to New England. Uh, as long as uh, more cases don't keep popping up, hopefully we can see those teams play each other in New England. We've got the Washington football team, which still cracks me up to say, uh, traveling to New York to play the Giants. Uh, Baltimore at Philly. Uh, Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Chicago at Carolina, Detroit at Jacksonville, New York at Miami, Green Bay at Tampa, and the Los Angeles Rams at San Francisco. That's all for your Sunday slate. Uh, The Rams at San Francisco is going to be that Sunday night football game. And uh, Monday we're going to have two games again because of the schedule movements. Uh, We're going to have Kansas City and Buffalo playing Buffalo, who lost pretty decisively to the Titans last week. A lot of people slated this as a huge game where uh, Kansas City and Buffalo were going to show what they were made of. But after last week, I think uh, Buffalo's had a little bit of air let out. They've lost a lot of momentum, and we could see uh, Kansas City maybe running away with this game in Buffalo. And then the uh, the last of the two-game slate is going to be Arizona at Dallas at 8-15. Got to feel bad for Dallas after that injury that happened to Dak. I'm, uh, I'm not a Cowboys fan by any means. Uh, some might say that I uh, dislike the Cowboys pretty strongly. But uh, what happened to Dak is something you never want to see happen to a player. Uh, I just would like to say uh, I, I support the Dallas franchise in this transition, and I hope that Andy Dalton can help that, that strong offense keep fighting and, and try and win some games for Dak because that is a guy that has been playing his heart out all season, averaging uh, close to 450 passing yards a game. Uh, averaging, I think, three and a half touchdowns a game. Dak has been playing his heart out in his contract year, trying to earn that big contract, and uh, I'd hope that this injury wouldn't derail his chances at earning another contract with Dallas or with another team because he's definitely shown himself as a very skilled quarterback this year, albeit that he has three really good receivers, but still he's he's the guy that's got to get to those receivers and make it happen, and he's been making it happen this year. So that's all for the, uh, the Week 6 slate. For uh, for football, I'm going to be moving into a little bit of coverage on the MLB playoffs, if it will load here. So, again, we're going to be seeing uh, game six between the Rays and the Astros. It's Each one of these games has been pretty close. Uh, game one, it was a one-run game. Game two, two runs. Game three, three runs. Game four, one run. Game five, one run. So neither of these teams has really been scoring a lot, which is what we kind of expected to see. 
because Tampa Bay, uh, their pitching isn't the best, but they've got some hitters. And then the Astros, they, again, they've got a lot of hitters, and their pitching isn't the best. So we kind of expected some high-scoring affairs in this series, and we haven't really been seeing it. Tampa Bay leading 3-2. to two. Uh, Houston coming with all of the momentum. Uh, this game is going to be on TBS tonight. So uh, all the, all the uh, MLB hopefuls that are mad at the Astros are really hoping to see our Rays win tonight, but we'll see what happens. I think Houston is going to win this game in force game seven just because of the momentum they've got going for them. It's going to be a good game to watch, and I definitely uh, advise anybody that hasn't been following this series, you definitely want to tune in tonight because if the Astros lose, this is going to be something phenomenal to see, seeing these Tampa Bay Rays that nobody expected beating uh, the Astros, uh, this phenomenal team that Houston has going, albeit that uh, Houston doesn't have the pitching that they've had in the last few years with Garrett Cole um, being stolen from by the Yankees. Uh, Justin Verlander being injured. So really what you're seeing from this pitching staff is just Zach Greinke and uh, a lot of younger guys like uh, Lance McCullers and some others. But it's going to be a great game tonight, and I I definitely advise people tuning into that. Um, We're going to be seeing uh, Game 5 between the Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, That is also going to be tonight. Um, This is a series that, once again, nobody expected. The the Braves have really been dominating this series. let me make sure I'm looking at this right. There it is. Okay. Um, so game one, we saw the Braves beat the Dodgers 5-1, to one, which was like a, it was a shell shot game. Everybody's like, wait a minute, what? The Dodgers are so stacked. How are the Braves winning this game? Game two, you see the Braves come out and they go up and win this game 8-7. to seven. Obviously, this was a closer game, but it's not what people expected to happen. Like the Braves going up 2-0 on the Dodgers. Uh, we've already seen the Yankees lose. We see the Astros down in their series. What is happening in baseball right now? Are we going to see an Atlanta Braves and Ta- Tampa Bay uh, World Series? It's something, obviously, that that I think would be good for baseball. Um, you, you do want to see bigger market teams maybe in that World Series just because it's what's expected and you're going to see more fans uh, from those cities. But seeing Atlanta and Tampa Bay in the World Series is something that could definitely make a difference. And... Uh, Definitely get more people involved in this sport if you see two uh, two of the smaller markets uh, pulling out and uh, playing in this World Series. Uh, we move into Game 3, and that's where the Dodgers showed up, and they were like, you know what, we're down 2-0. We need to show, show these Braves that we know how to play baseball. A huge, huge game for them. They ended up putting up 15 runs. I believe 11 of those came in the fourth inning. Uh, the Dodgers win this game 15-3 to where uh, they showed that their bats can come alive and... Uh, got themselves involved more in this series. Game four last night, uh, the Braves again showed up, won this game 10-2 to with solid pitching, solid hitting, and uh, the Braves currently lead the series 3-1. to I think it's going to be a, uh, a nail-biter, but uh, the Dodgers got a, a huge, huge uh, obstacle to overcome in these Braves because these Braves have good hitting. They have good pitching with Max Fried leading that staff. Uh, hitters like Ozzy Albies, Robert Acuna, it's it's going to be a good series, but I don't know if the Dodgers can pull this one out. Um, obviously, the Astros winning two in a row makes a difference in that series where, where they were down 3-0 and now it's 3-2. Um, but in this series, um, the Braves won two, the Dodgers won one, and now the Braves have won one, and it's a 3-1 where I think the Braves have the momentum, and I could see the Braves pulling this game out tonight and advancing themselves to the World Series. That's going to do it for playoff baseball. Um, I do want to touch base a little bit more on pros- uh, prospects from the Simulation Football League uh, before I do wrap up the show. Um, some of the other prospects I wanted to touch on uh, were some of the quarterbacks. Uh, we've got quarterback Joseph Green. We've got quarterback Christian Brown. 
and quarterback P.J. Slaughter, three guys that have been uh, getting more involved. Uh, Joseph Green and Christian Brown are new quarterbacks uh, coming in. Um, they're guys that have been involved in the chats. Um, I believe Christian Brown was on uh, Access Live last night, so he's getting his name out there, which I think, again, will be big uh, because I think we're going to see more needs for quarterbacks than uh, we did in the previous season. And uh, P.J. Slaughter, uh, the only uh, rookie quarterback in this class with a mobile quarterback build. Um, he's got some good speed on that quarterback. It's not something you see as a need, really, from teams. Uh, you see Julian Tyree playing for Sioux Falls. He's probably the only quarterback that you see run a little regularly. I believe he still only had like 20 carries on the year, which averages out to about two a game. But uh, if maybe if teams are planning on running a little bit different of a scheme, maybe P.J. Slaughter can help them out with that speed and that uh, mobility, uh, maybe to escape sacks and things like that. Uh, Christian Brown and Joseph Green are two uh, talented passing quarterbacks that I think we could see uh, maybe go in this draft. Um, I do believe that we're going to see a situation similar to last year where a lot of these quarterbacks are going to end up getting drafted at secondary positions maybe um, later on in the draft if we even have enough people to run a, a supplemental version of the draft because as some people remember in last year's draft we had over 230 players declare for the draft. Whereas this year, I think we're currently looking at about 100, 105 players, which is less than half of what we had in the uh, the class last year. So that, that could play a big difference into it. Um, but I think it's going to be something where these quarterbacks can make enough of a name for themselves that they might see themselves go earlier in this draft. Um, a few of the other people I wanted to touch base on, again, tight ends. Tight ends are, are going to be a bigger need now that uh, we see teams figuring out how to integrate tight ends with uh, Mike Daggs and Adam Williams being two of the top receivers in the league as tight ends. Um, guys I'd like to highlight include tight end Jason France uh, himself and his, uh, I believe his son, uh, cornerback Baden France, are uh, two people that are very involved in the chats. I see Jason France in the chats for basically every game that goes live, whether it be minor league or uh, major league games. Jason France is getting his name out there. He's got a huge build with a 6'7", 280 tight end. Uh, which I think could be something teams really take a look at because with that size, he he's he's a guy that could go out there like Rob Gronkowski. You're not going to see the 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 speed, but you're going to see him run blocking really well. You're going to see him catching basically anything within his hitbox because he's got such a, a strong build and such a a, a large frame. Uh, I like what I'm seeing from Jason France, and he's one of the prospects I definitely wanted to highlight. Um, a couple of the other prospects I wanted to highlight were some of the people that have joined the league more recently. Uh, we've got cornerback Mike Scott, uh, who I've seen getting involved in chats and showing up at the games. So that's good to see, especially uh, in a passing league where more and more teams every year are moving to five or six DBs. So cornerback Mike Scott could be uh, going early in this draft. And then uh, two people that have joined in the last uh, two weeks, cornerback Alden Bleeker and linebacker Sean Moore. I've seen both of these people in the chats, and again, they, they haven't been here very long, so so they're getting their names out there and getting involved. Um, that's pretty much all I've got for you guys. I uh, wanted to get a little bit of everything involved, uh, touch base on, on a lot of different things, and uh, show you guys what the station's going to be about. So uh, I, I invite you guys in when I plan to uh, launch the show on Twitch next week. Um, I'm going to keep you guys updated on that through the uh, content channels, let you guys know what's going on. And uh, I thank you all for listening, and I hope everybody has a great weekend. Thank you. If you want to follow along with my content as it goes live, make sure to follow me on Twitter at ThomasSmithSSI or on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ThomasSmith29. Thank you.